Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome to the New Books Network. I'm your host, Ine Janolu. I studied neuroscience and bioengineering, graduating with a PhD from ETH Zurich in Switzerland. Currently, I'm working in the diagnostics industry. Today, I have with me Annabelle Streets to talk about her book, 52 Ways to Walk. 52 Ways to Walk, the surprising science of walking for wellness and joy, one week at a time, is a first-of-its-kind guide that blends cutting-edge research with an avid walker's pragmatic how-to advice. This is a book for everyone, new walkers, seasoned walkers, and anyone who wants to boost the benefits of a daily constitutional. Inspirational and grounded in science, 52 Ways to Walk delivers the best-kept secrets of healthy and happy walkers, people who have learned that you actually can get more from life one step at a time. Welcoming and wise, it's a one-stop resource to enhance and maximize any kind of walk from a 10-minute stroll on rain-splashed urban streets to a long rural ramble beside the river or through the woods. So Annabelle Streets is a writer of highly researched, award-winning fiction as well as both narrative and practical nonfiction. She's the author, writing as Annabelle Apps, of the recent nonfiction book Windswept, Walking the Path of Trailblazing Women a feminist meditation on the power of Vulcan in the lives of several extraordinary women, including George O'Keefe, Simone de Beauvoir, and Frida Lawrence. For her practical nonfiction, she writes under the name Annabelle Streets and co-authored The Age Well Project. She also wrote The Joyce Girl, the story of James Joyce's daughter Lucia, and Miss Eliza's English Kitchen, the story of the world's first internationally recognized cookery writer Eliza Acton. Welcome, Annabelle, to NBN, and great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, 52 Ways to Walk is quite an interesting book that talks about scientific benefits or biological and psychological benefits of different kinds of walks, sprinkled with historical and personal anecdotes, as well as practical advice. So uh, how did you come up with the idea for this book? Well, um, there were two 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 places where it started. The first was actually with my last book that you just mentioned, Windswept. So Windswept originally had a lot of science in it. And my editor, actually my editor in London said, you know, it doesn't really work. There's too much science. And then, you know, it it just didn't seem to work. So she stripped all the science out. And I sat there with this big pile of, uh, of what I thought were really interesting facts, of really interesting studies that I'd sort of dug up from obs- very obscure universities and medical schools and laboratories. Um, so that was that was really sort of where it started. But also I'd had this thing in the back of my mind that had been going on for quite a few years. Uh, and I had realized that many of my friends and all of my family were what we call here in the UK, fair weather walkers. They only go out when it's sunny and, you know, they're well fed and rested and they won't really walk when it's raining or when it's dark or when it's cold or when they're hungry or when they've eaten too much. And so I had this idea in the back of my mind, you know, what if every time they gave me one of these, you know, excuses, I could say, well, actually, this is what happens when you you know, when you walk in the snow and this is what happens when you walk by a river and that's where we're going. Or this is what happens when we, when we climb a steep hill so that they would start to see that there were positives. So at the time, I didn't know if there, you know, I just had this hunch that we were as, as humans, you know, we are designed to walk. So I had this hunch that probably there would be 
physiological benefits and uh, cognitive benefits to every type of walking, whether that was barefoot or backwards or uphill or downhill. And so, so, I, so when I started looking around, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to find. But uh, obviously, I'd already, I'd already found some for my previous book. And then I dug around and found uh, there was an awful lot more incredible, really interesting studies. And I think that many of these studies didn't get perhaps the airtime that I think they deserve, because a lot of people think, like my, like my, my family, that walking is a bit boring. Um, they think there's not much to say about it and then we all know what we're doing and we just put on our walking boots and off we go but actually it's much more complicated than that so I was lucky that uh, you know huge numbers of extraordinary scientists and academics had, had really gone very deeply into the science so there was lots and lots of data and then I wanted to do something I didn't just want it to be a a sort of a you know what I call a health book I didn't just want it to be the data uh, because that can be very dry <laughs> it can be very dry and scientists do remarkable work but they don't necessarily bring it to life because that's not what they're they're not there to do that they're there to dis- to, to make these discoveries not necessarily then to sort of turn it into the sort of speak that everyone else understands so I wanted to create a book that was slightly different so that's why I started mixing up the the history of walking with the literature of walking, with my own memoir and with the science. And even then, I wasn't sure whether it was going to work. I thought, you know, this is quite this is quite strange. You know, I've got I've got a bit of everything in here. And is it going to be a complete, um, you know, a complete mess? But actually, when I had finished, I thought, oh, you know, OK, it's it's it sort of works for you know, it sort of works for your average man, woman, whoever out on the street that just wants to know, oh, it's raining today. I don't really feel like going out, but but are there reasons I should be going out? Or, oh, it's dark. I never, ever go out when it's dark and I certainly wouldn't go out on my own. But but might that do something to my body or my brain? Might that change things? So So then I put it into this sort of 52-week structure so that People can, you know, think, oh, you know, whatever. It's it's summer and it's very hot, so I'm not going to go out today. All the reverse, and then dig into that particular chapter and find a bit of inspirational data to support their their daily walk. <laughs> I think it it works well to be so. My my opinion that um, I would actually also invite all the readers to give it a go. It's really an interesting mix of, as you said, it's quite important to communicate scientific facts in an accessible way. So I thank you for that. It is definitely the case, and I also personally, as someone who likes to read books, I was also happy to read about some, as you said, historical and literary anecdotes um, sprinkled among um, among the scientific facts that actually really made it an enjoyable read. Um, As you mentioned already, you pointed out a few, there are certain themes in the book. So for example, walking in cold and warm weather. So one thing I personally found very interesting is walking with senses, as I would call it. You have several walks about um, walking, like taking a smell walk or uh, walking with a focus on on your hearing, on the things Mm. that you hear. Can you tell us a little bit about these and what are the, as you as you said, biological and cognitive benefits? Mm, yes. Well, I should say that I did have help from a lot of fantastic experts on on many of these subjects. So, so smell and hearing were both two where I pulled in people to 
take me for a walk and and show me how to do it because we don't really we don't really spend much time thinking about our senses and when we go for when we go for a walk we don't necessarily think about what's coming up through our nose or what's coming in through our ears. You know, we might catch a bit of bird song and think, oh, that's nice. But quite often people now are walking and they're, they're not even listening. You know, they've got their headphones in, they're perhaps listening to a podcast or some music, but they're almost completely tuned out of, of life, the life outside of them. And, I, and the same goes for smell. We're just not really that aware of it. So I lost my sense of smell. I got COVID early on and I lost my sense of smell. I couldn't smell a thing. So uh, so, so the smell thing was really interesting for me. And I managed to track down a, a sort of um, an expert, a doctor of, I call her a doctor of smell. So what, what she had done, she was an extraordinary woman who had traveled all over the world, uh, sort of recording the smells of great cities. So she'd done she'd done New York, she'd done Berlin, she'd done Paris, and and she would sort of uh, identify the smells of that city. And she actually believes, you know, every city has its own unique smell based usually on on the sort of the either the the terroir, the landscape, or the industry. And then she would she would create little essences in bottles and and, and sort of develop these incredible maps. And she was absolutely extraordinary. So she actually, she took me on this uh, this smell walk and showed me how to walk just with my nose. And it was a sort of a revelation, really, because I just had not really given it, um, given it much thought. So first of all, it completely changed the nature of the walk. But then when I sort of dug into the science and I was looking a lot at, at this stage at, at nasal breathing. And of course, when you when you nasal breathe, which we all should be doing, when we breathe through our nose, of course, we get the smell. But uh, as many of us are not breathing through our nose, we're just breathing through our mouth. We're, we're just missing that altogether. So, so that was interesting. But the thing about smell is, of course, it goes, it goes straight, straight up to the brain and straight into the hippocampus. And it doesn't go through that uh, sort of, um, not a filtration, but it doesn't go through that same process of being sort of filtered and forwarded. It's, it's direct. So when you smell something and really smell it, you know, the memories that come back are incredible. And um, we know a bit, a bit about this because Proust, does, Proust talks about his Madeleine moment, doesn't he, in the beginning of um, uh, Oh, Rechoche. So, um, so we so we, we, we sort of vaguely familiar. We've also lost touch with it. So on, on this particular walk, we went round and sometimes she would sort of blindfold me so that I couldn't see because that's a, a great distraction. And she made me smell uh, rubbish bins and you know not not just nice things <laughs> we smelt we smelt coffee shops and pizza restaurants and trees and plants and rivers but we also she also made me put my head right into a, a couple of rubbish bins and also into you know sort of more fact you know, sort of uh, factories so it was very um chemical smells that normally we would we would sort of turn away from without thinking about it but um she she made me do all that so so that was really interesting. And of course, I started looking into, you know, what, what smell does and how different smells affect our brain. And of course, it goes beyond memory. They can do all sorts of extraordinary things. But I think for me, the main thing about the smell walk is, is that being immersed in a place and really because you're so focused on, on smelling, everything else sort of falls away. So you're very much in 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 the moment 
and and concentrating and you're uh, very alert and then that sort of stays around a bit afterwards uh, and the most most exciting our our walk that particular walk was urban but I then also did um, forest walks and that actually becomes more interesting I think in terms of cognition and in terms of the science so walking amongst uh, evergreen trees particularly pine trees they produce these two um, phytoncides two terpenes which have incredibly powerful effects so, so scots pine for example produces two particular terpenes that have been found to be as helpful for getting to sleep as a sleeping pill in some I can't remember where that particular study was. It's in the book. So there are several other studies that look at the effect of breathing in uh, terpenes from uh, plants and from trees. So I think the the real benefit of smell is out in nature, uh, health-wise. But for for before understanding a city and and imprinting that city or that town in your memory. A smell, urban smell, what is fantastic because you will, you will that that town develops a smell and you will always remember it. So I do recommend going for a a smell, and you just it's, it's very very easy. There's <laughs> it's nothing complicated. You just have to be sort of bold enough to open a door, not not to someone's home obviously, but open a door into a shop or a restaurant or a, a an art gallery or a studio or whatever and just put your head in and just smell and then try and articulate the smell so so the smell doctor I was walking with she would then make me find words for each smell which was incredibly I mean I'm a writer so I should be able to do this but it was incredibly difficult to to find words because our, our language is much more visual than it is to do with to do with how we smell something so the whole exercise was quite a, a good a, a good brain workout really and this then is so definitely for... one of the walks I would try it myself so it's in my list <laughs> that yeah. I found very interesting taking a smell walk the first thing she said to me was, you mustn't worry about other people. You mustn't worry about going up to a tree and smelling it. You mustn't worry about what other people will think. Because, of course, we're all like, oh, gosh, what will they think when they see me, you know, smelling a tree? So, <laughs> so that is my first bit of advice to you is, is either go when there are not many people around or just don't worry about what people are thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so do you want me to talk and, um... briefly about hearing? Exactly. I was going to ask. So like, what about hearing? So for hearing, well, my first tip is when you go for a hearing walk is to put your hands, your palms behind your ears and push your ears out. And that really amplifies all the sounds around us, which which often we just miss. So for walking with my ears, I actually went out with an with an ornithologist, a, a bird, a bird expert who records but you know that his thing is recording bird sound so he showed me you know where where to look you know for example he said a lot of birds are down low they're down on the ground so it's not a matter of just walking around thinking they're flying they don't tend to make a noise when they fly <laughs> they make more noise when they're uh, on a branch or down below so we did quite a lot of sort of bending down with our ears sort of uh, you know pushed right out um, but a lot of the other sounds that I listened to were things like the sounds of trees. And there is this theory that um, different trees make different 
sounds, particularly particularly in when you're out in the in a breeze or in the wind. So you don't want it too windy because that, that that just blows everything around. But if you have a breeze, uh, some people believe that you know a, a silver birch makes a different sound. And certainly, I've been able to spot some trees. So so a poplars, for example. So there are trees. There are trees that make sounds. And if you know a bit about that, then you start listening out for them. And again, I think the issue there is that most of us don't know. We don't know that different trees make different sounds. So we just walk along and think, oh, there's a nice windy sound. But again, it's just about walking. And that's, you've got to walk. These are very slow walks. They're not, um, they're not get fit walks or clock up 10,000 steps walks. So these, are, these are really slow, immersive walks. And, um, and, and they're, just, they're just absolutely fascinating because of, because of what you hear. And a lot of the sounds that we hear are really really deeply relaxing so for example the the sound well the sound of water has has been proven actually repeatedly to be the most relaxing sound and the sound of bird song again is repeatedly found to be the most uplifting sound much both of them much more relaxing or uplifting than music so I would I do try and urge people you yeah, just take take out their headphones <laughs> just sometimes and listen Either to the uh, there's water nearby or sea or you know there's nearly always a bird or two, uh, and try and listen to those because they will have a more profound effect on your on your mood than the music that you're listening to or even probably dare I say it to the podcast that you're listening to. <laughs> <laughs> Not this one, of course. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe they're trying to run away from the noises in the in the city. So you also mentioned like yeah. these differences between. I mean, I can understand maybe even there's an evolutionary reason why you know like sound of trees mm. or sound of uh, water is actually very relaxing to us. It actually tells us there's potentially uh, water and and food and and so on. So um, yes. and then all these other modern noises are relatively new. <laughs> Yes, 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 that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. So the theory is that we, we, we relax when we hear water because, as you say, it means that we, we know we're going to survive. There's something to drink and there's, there's going to be food. So, so we do seem to find it very still very, very relaxing. And there are a few uh, nature walks you cover in the book by a river, in the forest, uh, by the by the water. So um, what are some of, again, uh, the benefits you've mentioned a little bit about uh, being among trees? I found it very interesting. So being actually on, on soil. So one thing, for example, you talked about at the beginning, uh, many people would not go out when it's uh, rainy outside and definitely, I mean, walking in the city is one thing, but go into the nature and, you know, walk around or touch the soil or mud and so on. So mm. what are some of the benefits of that? Yes, you're absolutely right. <laughs> Those are exactly the conditions when people stay in, you know, it's too, it's too wet, it's too muddy. But, um, but mud has been found to have the most fantastic properties, um, particularly for our microbiome, which, of course, then sort of filters on to be, uh, you know, particularly beneficial for things like our immunity. So in the book, I talk about these studies that were done in um, schools in Finland, where they had some children who were just on tarmac with the usual plastic climbing frames which I think you know <laughs> is, is what you would find in most primary schools and then they took one of these schools and they actually replaced 
the tarmac with a whole they got a sort of a bit of a whole bit of forest floor so they put in bushes and forest floor and then they monitored the children over a period of months those that were on the playing on tarmac twice a day and those that were playing on um you know mud and and um play among plants and the results were absolutely extraordinary really so the ones who were playing on the forest you know forest floor their microbiomes improved they had much more diverse much more diverse sort of flora and fauna in there but also they got they got fewer coughs and colds they were able to concentrate more and similar experiments have been done in in America where they actually found that this is with older kids the kids who had access to greenery um, were getting better grades so it's it's almost as though every every part of us uh, needs to have uh, regular access to to mud and trees and greenery um, and we you know and scientists are still trying to unpick what exactly what exactly is it is it something is it some sort of bacteria in the forest floor is it the terpenes and the phytoncides from the leaves? We, we just don't know. Or is it all just psychosomatic? You know, we just feel happier. And because we feel happier, uh, and perhaps that goes back to our nomadic ancestors who, who absolutely needed to have greenery and water. Uh, and so that whole thing is just, is just survival for them. Is it just that when we're surrounded with that, we relax so much that we're able to concentrate better and we're able to be more alert and we feel happier. You know, this is still all being untangled, but it, it's extraordinary. Yeah, it's quite fascinating. I'm also very curious what sort of, um, you know, research will be done in the future and what new findings they will they will come up with for that. Um, another one of the one another let's say type of situation where people really avoid going out and especially for a walk is cold and this is again one of the one of the walks you mentioned walking in the cold uh, actually quite interesting some of the uh, the benefits of walking in the cold right yeah yeah so cold is is um i mean i've always loved walking in the cold but i can tell you for a fact that I know many, many people who refuse to go out when it's cold. <laughs> and here in the UK, it's, you know, it's cold. It's cold for like four months of the year. So they just would rather sit at home. But um, and in fact, it's very interesting. I'll come back to that because it's a very interesting piece of the report that just came out yesterday, actually. It just landed in my entry about what happens when we stop walking, we stop moving. So just remind me to come back to that. So basically, when we're born, we're, we're born with this layer of incredible brown fat, all babies have it. Hibernating mammals have it. And it's really, um, it's really just very, very dense uh, mitochondria, a big layer of, 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 of not fat, but a big well, brown fat, but a big layer of mitochondria. So what the mitochondria does is it helps us survive. And it's, it's on a baby, just in case the baby's mother decides, you know, I, I don't know, she gets eaten by a lion, or she decides to leave the baby, you know, the baby will survive because of the brown fat. So brown fat is really, really good for us. It's, it's survival. And what brown fat does, well, we, st we start to lose it as we get older, but we still maintain pockets of it, especially around our neck and the tops of our shoulders at the back. Um, but what the brown fat does is it actually in very basic speak, it gobbles up all the white fat. So our white fat is not good. And it's the white fat that will clog our arteries and lead to heart disease and heart attacks. But brown fat eats up the white fat. 
So often thin, fit people have quite a lot of brown fat. It's, it's just a terrible name, brown fat, isn't it? We need to, we need to change it to something, something that sounds, sounds gorgeous. Because you know, if you ask someone, do you want some brown fat? They'll be like, oh, no, thank you. Uh, so, so you have to just think of brown fat as being this incredible um, substance that we still have and that we need to keep producing. So what our bodies do is when we are exposed to cold, uh, our bodies will make brown fat to keep us warm, to keep us alive. You know, the, the body just thinks, God, you know, it's very cold. I need to, <laughs> I need to keep this human, I need to keep this human going. And they start laying down um, pockets of brown fat. So someone like uh, Wim Hof, who sits in an ice bath for an hour every day, you know, I should imagine he has extraordinary reserves of brown fat. And also people who are doing cold showers every morning, all of that is about generating brown fat. But lots of people don't want to do cold showers. So all you need to do is when you go out for a walk is, um, well, my advice and what I've read in studies is you just need to show uh, or open up your coat at the top around your your collarbones and just get some cold, cold on there. Not not for too long because you don't, you don't want to get hypothermia, but just enough for your body to go into a slight panic mode and think, right, woohoo. But you can also help with your brown fat by taking a cup of hot coffee because hot the coffee also generates brown fat so if you go out for a cold walk you know unwrap your scarf for a bit and take a hot coffee and that will help you to um, build up your stores of brown fat it's extraordinary isn't it yeah it is it is very and i was going to say like besides people who like taking cold baths and showers and there are definitely groups of people for example with little babies and dogs who actually go out no matter what the weather almost every day so that's actually not so bad after all no it's fantastic and in fact having a having a dog is a marvelous thing so i have a chapter on a chapter on dogs um, because again, the data is really, really strong on people who live with dogs, not just their microbiome, which of course is more diverse because they're also sharing sharing dog bacteria, but also because they you have you if you have a dog, I don't know if you have a dog. Do you have a dog? No, no, I don't have one at the moment, but I used to. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. No. Well, if you have a dog, you have to you you have to walk it. So all the all the excuses that my children and uh, friends were giving giving to me, you know, in fact, the friends that always came out with me were the ones that had dogs because they were like, oh, I know it's raining, but I've got to walk the dog. So <laughs> so dog owners um, ha have have particularly good health and also live longer in good health than those without dogs. Yeah, that I also found quite interesting. Uh, I was surprised about that chapter. I was like, yeah, okay, that um, that is uh, something to to try as well. You wanted to talk about a study that um, uh, was talking about what happens when we don't walk at all. Yeah, I haven't. I've just I've just been reading it, and um, uh, I won't go into the science because there's quite a lot of complex science. But it basically. What it, what it says, what it seems to have found is that when we stop moving, when we stop exercising, uh, there's a particular protein in our body that becomes deactivated and makes, us, makes it harder then to get back into exercise. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but you know what it's like? You go away, perhaps you go on holiday and you, and you just lie around for a bit. It's always much harder 
when you come back. And it's much harder if you've had an injury or you've been out of practice and you've, you've stopped exercising. It's always really hard to get back into it. And this has happened to me on several occasions. And I've always wondered, why is it so hard to get to get back into that daily, really long, fast walk? Uh, so when this this particular report fell into my interest yesterday, I, I looked at it and I thought, that's so interesting. So it's not that we've become lazy. It's actually something physiological. There's some protein that has just decided, okay, you know, no more exercise here and has sort of just gone into hibernation. So we have to work really hard to, to get it reactivated. But actually what the scientists, what the researchers here are saying is you just can't stop. <laughs> You've just got to keep going. Which is why I think walking is so brilliant, because even if we're on a, on a holiday or even if we've got an injury, we can still, most of us, manage to get out for, for example, a slow walk. So I have a, there's a chapter in the book on why you just, why even a slow walk is good, why even a short walk is good. There's a chapter on what I've called the 12 minute walk, which came out of a study from um, uh, Massachusetts um, General Hospital, where they measured the metabolites in a bunch of people, or two but two groups of people, and um, one of them walked for 12 minutes and one didn't. And what they found was that, and of course they looked at the metabolites of the people who were walking before and after they walked. What they found was that it took 12 minutes. So we have 588, apparently 588 of these metabolites, that, uh, little molecules that circulate around our inside our blood and they are what doctors will look at when they want to get a, a picture of our sort of general health you know how 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 well are we um and and those 588 metabolites i think something like 520 of them change within 12 minutes of walking as in get better improve are fitter are healthier so if a doctor was to look at you after your 12 minute walk you would look uh, better than you had done 12 minutes before or if you hadn't done a 12 minute walk so the idea that it only takes 12 minutes of this is quite brisk walking actually only takes 12 minutes of brisk walking to really have an impact on your body I thought was was um, very uh, optimistic and helpful because a lot of people say oh, I just haven't got time for a walk people think walking is slow you know they think oh I need a Sunday afternoon to go for a walk but actually no 12 minutes Anyone can pop out of their office and just walk around, you know, walk around the block three, four times, um, yeah. and then or incorporated into their incorporated into their commute, for example, then uh, walk a little bit, some stops, and then I don't know, take um, public transport or uh, I don't know, go between stations. <laughs> That's right. So, so I've also got a chapter on that which I've called um, "Walking with Purpose." So it has other names. Some people call it functional, functional movement, functional walking. But it's when you are, you've incorporated walking into your life. So it's not I'm going for a nice walk, you know, because it's a sunny day. It's more like I've got to get to the office. I've got to get to the hairdresser. I've got to get to the dentist. I've got to get to the store. So swapping out public transport or your car uh, and, and swapping back in walking. So when you walk, when you walk purposefully, when you walk like that people typically walk much faster uh you know because they're not thinking this is my relaxation time they're just going somewhere <laughs> so uh my advice on that is 
um, you know, find a find a section of your your commute or your shop walk or wherever you're going. Find a, a section that you can walk fast in 12 minutes and and use that. And also always give yourself not too much time. So if you have a, a you know a meeting at uh, that starts at 10 o'clock. You know, just cut, just cut it fine so that always you're thinking, oh, I've got to walk a bit faster. And if you want to walk fast, that is the way that is the way to do it, to know that you've got to be somewhere and you, you just you just got to walk fast. Otherwise, you're going to be late. <laughs> so, I mean, coming back to the, the you mentioned the study about this protein and so on, coming back to the, let's say, effect of um, what in general are called mechanical signals. So probably there's also movement of muscles also activating the acne. Yeah. This actually is a field that is, you know, gaining more and more attention. And it is known already that mechanical signals among like chemical signals or light mm. um, that has effect on our cells and how they how they behave. So I'm actually, let's say, on a very um, general level, not surprised about this, but uh, quite interesting to find out. I mean, which which type of molecules are affected and uh, which type of proteins are activated and deactivated and what are the consequences. So uh, talking about that, I actually wondered, you went through quite a lot of research. Which part uh, did you find was a little bit under-researched or maybe, let's say, the, mm. um, uh, the data was not very convincing and definitely would require more attention from researchers? Yeah, so the, the, the one that I found... So, so a lot of them have some. Some have lots and lots of studies behind them. So the whole, you know, benefits of walking among trees and greenery—that's really well researched now. Water is less so. So the benefits of walking beside water, what is now called blue space—that's really only kicked off in the last five years. And as you know, some of these studies take years. <laughs> so in five years, uh, it's it's we're, they're starting to come through. You know what happens to uh, blood pressure what happens to our cortisol levels when we walk beside water what happens to our you know the serotonin so those are just starting to come through and i would have liked to have seen more more but i, I felt i had enough i had enough on on um, blue space <laughs> wind i really that was a real dig so what happens to us when we walk in wind there are a few studies you know they were i was i was really digging hard for that and uh, in fact eventually i got in touch with a sort of um, uh, an expert who looks at this and sort of meet the effects of meteorology on our on, on us physiologically cognitively and he said well yeah we're really 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 early days so we still don't really know what happens to our bodies when we walk say in wind uh, in, in a normal wind. We know a bit about what happens when we walk in, you know, some of the, the big, uh, very, very strong winds like the Mistral and so just that, you know, the big famous winds because they, but that that's always an element of fear there because of course those winds have been so destructive in the past. But for just a normal wind, like, you know, you and I will walk through, that was hard to find data on. But where the data was really good on wind was on, it's, ability to disperse pollution so how wind blows away pm 2.5 how wind blows germs away so a, a recent report that fell into my entry uh maybe three weeks two three weeks ago was about the effect of 
being outside on a windy day in terms of transmission of COVID. So, and the upshot really was that if you are worried about catching COVID from anyone, a windy day is absolutely the best time to go out. So go out for a windy walk. So, so for people who are shielding and who've been really nervous about going out, a windy day is perfect for them. So, so wind, so wind, and again, these are just really starting to be studied. Um, there's, so there's good data on barefoot walking now. Some of it is a bit contentious, but that's starting to clear. And there were some, some, oh, oh yes, the night, dark, dark was really interesting. Again, <sighs> you know, sort of scratching around a bit for data on what happens. But the one thing that is absolutely crystal clear is that when we are exposed to darkness, you know, that that triggers our production of melatonin. So in terms of going out of your brightly lit house and having an evening walk without lights on, that is really good for preparing you to sleep so long as you then you don't come back and sit on your screen and watch netflix for two hours so 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 evening walks or night walks which i don't really do on my own because um i, I take someone with me uh just because you know it's we all feel a bit uh, females we feel we don't feel very it's not a very relaxing walk if you're on your own so i would normally get a friend or a husband to come with me and we would often go and walk along the river uh, you know, when it was dark and then I would come in and without turning all my bathroom lights on and things, I would just sort of uh, yeah, brush my teeth in the dark and get into bed. And it, and it was really, really, I found that really relaxing and it really helped my sleep because I'm not a very good sleeper. So, so but that, that was all really in terms of, of darkness. It's really about melatonin. And I don't know if there may be other things happening. Mm -hmm. We'll have to wait. Yeah. <laughs> yes, for the for the second um, uh, second part of this whole whole research, maybe in some years that <laughs> you will again turn into a book. Maybe whatever new findings that there would be. Actually, about that, I was wondering: were there more than fifty two walks that you had to eliminate or cut them from the book? Oh, that's a very good question. I think um, did I eliminate? I did. I did eliminate. Oh, I tell you what. I eliminated imaginary, take a walk in your imagination. There was a chapter on uh, walking in your imagination. And it was for really for all the people that aren't able to go for a walk. And during COVID, um, some friends of mine who had relatives in hospital, very, very ill, did, did something that I thought was really, really interesting. They would go into the hospital and they would take their grandmother for literally for a imaginary walk because you know the grandmother hadn't hadn't been out for sometimes months and you know just awful awful so they would go in with pictures and sounds of bird song and they would show uh, let's call her granny they would show granny talk granny through a whole walk so that she could literally walk it in her mind and I thought this was really beautiful. And, and I did quite a bit of research and I got quite, I got a really nice chapter on that, but that one got cut because obviously we couldn't have 53. Uh, I think yeah. I, I, there may be another one, but that was the, the one I remember being cut out. Yes. And um, before we, uh, before we close, I also want to ask you, what are your favorite walks yourself? Uh, my favorite, I suppose I've got two. Oh, no, maybe three. Um, if I had to choose one, I would choose to walk beside, I would choose to walk beside water. 
probably to follow a river. Um, and there are lots of reasons for that. One of the reasons is that there's so much going on in terms of wildlife. So, you know, all of those bird sounds we were talking about, you get birds, you get a visual interest, you get flowers, you get plants, you amazing plants by water. Um, you get the sound of the water, which is, is deeply relaxing. But what's really interesting and perhaps the most interesting fact about water is that uh, water reflects light, reflects sunlight. So when you walk by a river, you have you're really twice as much light. You have this sort of abundance of light. And of course, light, when sunlight falls on our skin, it produces serotonin. And serotonin is, you know, the, the, the feel good, the happy hormone. So when you walk by a river, you're getting twice as much light. And uh, I don't know if it's been measured whether you get twice as much serotonin. But to me, I've always felt very, very uh, happy beside water, whether that's a river this or a canal, been, all the yeah, sea. This has been also my personal experience. So always happy near, near water. <laughs> There's another really good reason for walking by water, and I discovered it when I was researching for my last book, and I was looking at um, women of the past who had walked long distances, and some of them, you know, they were nervous about getting lost. They hadn't been trained in navigation. They didn't know how to work a, a compass. Even their map reading wasn't always very good. So their little trick was always to follow a river because you never get lost. So, uh, <laughs> so you can never get lost when you follow a river. You always know where you're going to end up. <laughs> that's right and your second favorite walk uh, I like mountains mm -hmm. I like climbing I like I like I love altitude I love the the that thin you know the thin air that you get at altitude uh, I love the views that you get uh, and again I thought that was just me liking views but it turns out that you know that I have a chapter on you know, vista vision, panoramic vision, what happens to our bodies when we look out at a long expanse. And of course, that's why I like mountains, obviously, because I didn't realize. But it's that sense, again, that sense of really deep relaxation when we can see for miles and miles. And again, it probably goes back to our distant, distant ancestors who, when you could look out and see for miles and you could see there were no predators or no enemies, you know, you, you again, you, you knew you were safe, safe for the night. So yeah yeah and as a last question so there i found also i like walking and for the person who likes walking and open to new ways of walking there are really so many nice ideas but i want to go the other side and people who avoid walking so what would be your tips for that and like which walks uh, should they start with what would you tell them to make it more appealing besides it's good for your health Oh yes, yes. No, that's really that's really important because I think the thing about walking is you need to you need to fall in love with it really, uh, and then you just you can't imagine a life without it. So so once you once you get out there, and I think the good thing about the pandemic is a lot of people couldn't do anything else except walk. So uh, I think there are lots more people now who are much more open to it and who don't think oh it's boring. Um, so I would say the first thing, which is quite it's quite basic, but it's quite important, is to have the right kit. So if you're walking in rain, you really need to have waterproofs. You need to have comfortable shoes and you need to have, you know, either a coat with big pockets, I think is great. So you don't need to carry a bag, you know, try and get everything in your pockets and then you can walk, you know, you can swing your arms and you're not, you know, you haven't got stuff hanging off you. So pockets, the right foot. And also, you know, invest in something simple like the right pair of socks. Quite often we think, oh, we just need walking shoes or something that's comfortable. We don't think about the socks. 
So have a have a comfortable pair of socks, thick socks, uh, and then and then you know if and again if you're not used to walking, find a route uh, that has on it a bench, that, uh, uh, a tree that you really like, a coffee shop that you like. So just so that you don't have to just do the walk in one go, you can break it up. Uh, and just start, you know, start with a, a short, slow walk and then just go from there. Mm-hmm. Have some sort of, a, let's say, appealing uh, ending to it. I think it's also motivating if you see, as we discussed, like a nice vista, a great view. This also gives you a very nice feeling. Yeah, absolutely. And for some people, you know, it may it may just be that they know they can get a really nice cup of coffee halfway around their walk or at, at the end of their route. So sometimes that's all it takes or a really nice bakery where they can get a really nice croissant. I know this is more urban, uh, but as you say, if you're out in the country, it might just be a view that really um, perks you up or um, a, a particular tree that you've, you've almost developed a bit of a relationship with and you can watch it changing through the seasons and it becomes a sort of friend that you go and visit. <laughs> that's <laughs> that a beautiful awesome, idea. You know? <laughs> Oh, it sounds like a beautiful idea. That's that's very good. So thanks a lot, Annabelle, for this very interesting discussion and a very interesting book. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. That was fantastic.